As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. As we continue to develop these great themes of the book of Revelation, at the end of the last set of broadcasts, we had come down to a discussion of three things. The mark of the beast, the name of the beast, and the number of his name. So it's the mark, the name, and the number of the name, the number of his name. And then it goes into verse 18 that says, Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. Now, um, it is important that we take these three concepts together. Mostly, uh, people are are, uh, concerned about the mark of the beast apart from the other two considerations. Uh, They're concerned about the number 666 apart from the other two considerations, which are uh, the number or the mark, the number of his name, and uh, the image of the beast. These are the three considerations. And um, the, so let's go back into the whole of chapter 13 and frame this again, because it's imperative that we do so in order to get the full significance of what the writer, John, is speaking about here. So, at verse 11, he introduces a second beast. We've talked about this before, so I won't dwell on it. I won't get deeply into it because uh, it's, been, it's been pretty well laid out before. But just to frame it again, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now, he had been talking about a first beast. This first beast had seven heads, ten horns, and one of the horns, uh, another horn came up, displaced uh, three of the ten horns, uh, so three of taken out of the way, uh, one replaces, so you go from ten to seven, but then the one that replaces is an eighth horn. And this horn, we had seen previously, speaks blasphemous things. It was given a mouth and he speaks blasphemous things. He makes war against the saints. Uh, we talked about polemio, uh, the polemic, the nature of war being polemics, arguments, quarrels, 
quite literally and for our purposes and in our time. It's a propaganda war. It's a war to define reality. This war is directed against God in three, in three forms. One is against uh, His name, which has to do with His authority, His tabernacle or His dwelling place, which is the body of Christ, and because God never dwells in a temple made with hands, He made His own temple, He's the head of the body, He dwells in us by the Spirit, and so on and so on so forth. Uh, it's impossible to come up with a different conclusion uh, that the tabernacle of God is something different than the body of Christ. And finally, and those who dwell in heaven. We looked extensively at the word dwell in heaven or dwell and we see that it is related to the word oikos or house, which is less of a space to be occupied and more of a family that occupies a space. So it's the family. He makes war against uh, uh, those who dwell in heaven, those who are seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, which speaks of not only the authority but their position, their position being heavenly minded, having had their minds renewed, uh, viewing all things even while they are on the earth, viewing all things from a divine perspective, which by the way is one of the elementary doctrines. We should have always been taught that we judge things by eternal standards. Eternal judgments is one of the six elementary doctrines. We judge things, <clears throat> it was said of Jesus that, and this is in, in the book of uh, Isaiah, the 11th chapter, when it speaks of him as the one possessing the seven spirits of God, uh, you know, the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, the fear of the Lord. And right after that it says, and he does not judge by the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear, which means he judges things from an eternal perspective. So those who dwell in heaven then are not it's not speaking of a position, they're dwelling, they're clothed with their heavenly dwelling in the sense that their minds are renewed according to eternal principles. So he wages war against them, he wages the propaganda war against them. By contrast, he has great success with those who dwell on the earth, who are carnal, sensual, and devilish in their perspectives. One only has to look at Paul's writings to Timothy concerning the end of the age to see how susceptible those who dwell on the earth, those whose house literally is the house of Satan, dominated by satanic concepts, satanic notions, concepts of rebellion, anarchy, removing uh, divine standards, uh, living by the views of popular opinions, uh, uh, you know, whatever you can cobble together that people will agree with, those, that's what those who dwell on the earth. And again, I have done 
I've given full attention to this principle before, so I won't I won't uh, go back and and re, as it were, relitigate it. Now, after that, then another beast comes up out of the earth. This is not the beast that we defined as the cosmos. This is not the fourth beast of Daniel uh, or the earlier reference here in Revelation 13, which corresponds exactly to the fourth beast of Daniel. This this global kingdom that dominates and, and oppresses the whole earth. That's one beast. Satan gives his power, his throne, and great authority to that beast. Now that beast arose out of the sea of nations, out of the sea which is typically a reference, multiple meanings in scripture of course to many of these terms and one of the meanings of the, among the multiple meanings of the word sea in Scripture, it could mean the oceans, it could mean the waves and so on, but one of the meanings is, and the applicable meaning, is the sea of humanity, Uh, a great multitude like the sea uh, before the throne of God and so on. Now this second beast, however, is very different and sometimes we conflate the horn that speaks blasphemous things against God uh, in the three forms mentioned before His dwelling place or His name, His, His tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. We conflate that horn and its blasphemous things with this beast which is a second, second and very different beast. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth one of the meanings of earth is fallenness or carnality or the wisdom that is perverse and perverted as compared to those who dwell in heaven, uh, the wisdom that is pure and delightful and full of glory and reveals the truths and the nature of God. So another beast, this one arises in short, in a manner consistent with the way the horn speaks, the horn of the first beast. Say, what do you mean? Rises in a manner consistent with that. What does the horn that speaks blasphemous things, what kind of war does he make against the saints? He makes a propaganda war, polemics, polemeo. He makes that kind of war against the saints and overcomes them. In the propaganda war, the saints will not occupy the popular, will not capture the popular imagination and they will not win this quarrel, this war of words. Now none of that should surprise us because Jesus said that the way that leads to life is narrow and few there be that that would find it. 
Paul and Peter both referred to the end of the age and even the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those who are, who are called out, the ecclesia, those who, are, those who remain after a great falling away, they're described variously as a remnant. All of that indicates what? That we will not win the war for hearts and minds because it requires giving up your own power, giving up your own ideas and becoming subject to the things of God. We shouldn't be surprised, this is not a defeat, let's keep that in mind, this is not a defeat, the truth remains the truth and in the end the thing that will survive is the truth and in the end those who triumph, those in whose favour judgment is given are those who can be weighed and measured by eternal standards and theirs will not be the great multitude or by comparison to the earth's population and the carnally minded, they will not win the popularity vote. So it's a given because this is not an appeal to human reason and it does not validate human beings in their states of rebellion against God. This is not your best life now appeal. This is not an appeal that the the world will, will hear and decide, ah, if I can tap into that appeal, then I can live my best life now. Uh, that's, that's, that's the folly of poorly educated preachers, poorly educated in the Scriptures. The reality is that the way is narrow, the way that leads to life is narrow and few there be that find it and it's narrow because it doesn't allow you to bring all of your ideas along with you. So if it's a war of words and a war to decide who wins the popular vote, the saints will not win because we're not going to be popular, we're going to be accurate and we're going to be vindicated, we're going to be proven right and we will be revealed with Christ but we will not be popular. Now consider that as we look at the second beast that arises out of the earth. That tells you that the way for this second beast is prepared by the, by the sayings of the first beast, the little horn that speaks blasphemous things. That creates such a destabled environment that people are confused about what the truth is and therefore one who arises speaking what the people want to say as an aid and as an abetter 
of the general philosophy associated with the cosmos. See, the, the horn that speaks blasphemous things on the first beast may or may not be a person. It's likely to be a person, but it's conceivably not necessarily a person, but a general philosophy, an idea of humanism, an idea of how human that appeals to human souls about human well-being in the earth. Whether or not it's actually a person, there is not a lot of focus on this entity as a person. The focus, however, is on this other beast that arises out of popular opinion. But the nexus between the two is one in which it's clear that the propaganda war going against the saints has stirred a certain controversy in the earth and is redefining truth in such a fashion that now you have more of a global consensus amongst the people who dwell on the earth, people whose minds have not been renewed and therefore they judge nothing by eternal standards. And that allows for this second beast to arise. And he takes the role of a cheerleader for all things relating to the first beast. Now, so you see the connection. One comes up, changes the global conversation, distorts the truth by attacking the standards of God as they occur in a holy people, and at the same time there's a great falling away occurring in the church, which means that that which was once viewed as the pillar and the ground of the truth has now largely folded up shop and is looking for its survival. A remnant of people, those who dwell in heaven, are holding to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the testimony originally given, who the Lord actually is, what the truth actually is. And they can do that because their minds are renewed. But with this great falling away, they are clearly a minority significantly reduced. And with the popular church falling away, and we'll see it in a moment as the harlot, the woman who went into the wilderness who, becomes, who emerges as the harlot, who is seeking the favor of kings. With that as a distracting voice, this beast, this second beast may arise. Now it's interesting the description of this second beast. It says he has two horns like a lamb. And 
spoke like a dragon. I've addressed this before. I'll just give it a brief brush as I move on. The, the Lamb of God, the one who had been slain from the foundations of the earth, when He appears in heaven in Revelation chapters 5 and 6, when He appears, He appears as the Lamb who had been slain, but He has seven horns and seven eyes. So He's all-powerful because the horn is the power of the animal, He's all-powerful and He sees everything, whether the past, the present, the future, He knows the intents and the thoughts of the hearts of men and so on. This, this, um, this beast, this beast has two horns because he wants to look normal. He wants to have that appeal to the reasonableness of men. A seven-horned lamb is not a common sight. These things, you see, have to be viewed from an eternal perspective to make any sense at all. Quite frankly, a seven-horned lamb is an aberration. It's a mutant if you view it purely from a human uh, observation. There are no precedents to a seven-horned lamb in nature. There there is precedent for a two-horned lamb in nature. So one is to see it from an eternal point of view, the other is to see it from a popular or earthly point of view and that's the trap. When things are seen from an earthly point of view, they may appear to be heavenly like a lamb. When he opens his mouth, it's dragon speak. The dragon speaks. Clearly a point of deception by clothing oneself with the appearance of normalcy as human minds would consider normalcy. So he's, he's the everyman, he is the, he's really quite a religious fellow. He has all the makings, all the trappings. You know how religious people speak. Depending on the religion, you can, you can absolutely uh, predict what a person is going to say. Um, for traditional religious people, you know, in, in, in uh, certain groups with priests, priests speak in a certain way. All the words are rounded. They dress a certain way to convey the notion that they are holy in appearance and holy in speech. Uh, those who have a more Uh, pecuniary focus, having more of a monetary goal, they dress for success. You look at them and you say, uh, they look like they're making money and they speak with the boldness, even the arrogance of those who seem like they're making money. So 
there is an appearance, one of the funniest, quite frankly, uh, these um, television prophets who have taken to wearing beards. I don't have a thing against people wearing beards. Some beards actually look quite nice. But many of some beards on men actually look quite nice. I've never been able to wear a beard. Uh, mine tends to be splotchy and and uh, scraggly. But, but you see these fellows uh, with Old Testament style beards uh, when they appear on TV, and you know one thing: they're trying to tell you they're prophets. Well, it's not how they appear that matters, it's how they speak, it's what they say that matters. When you speak like a dragon, you are the representation of the dragon, doesn't matter how you look. The dragon is that old serpent, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan. Now this first beast or the second beast, I'm sorry, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Um, the word there is enopian, which means within sight of. And that means that he's closely aligned to. He makes every effort to appear to be that he's aligned to the first beast. A little bit analogous to today, uh, going to Florida, uh, uh, to uh, what's the, to going to Mar-a-Lago. When politicians are going to Mar-a-Lago, it's in the sight of that that concept. Um, when when you 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 appear to be associated with in a very intentional way. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Again, you note the terms earth and those who dwell in it. So again, this second character, this second entity, is a cheerleader for the first and his whole intent and goal is to have a devoted and worshipful following of all the dictates of the first beast, of everything. Now the first beast is an invisible kingdom, so you can't say here it is or there it is, but there's a philosophy and a way of life and real threats that go with it. It's a, there's, a, there's a war associated with it. So this thing has a reality, though it's, in, though it's invisible, but this second beast is the visible representation of that invisible entity. Now this is the one that requires a mark, a number and a name. And we'll develop, we'll continue to develop these principles as we go forward uh, in the rest of this series 
of broadcasts. You will notice that the deadly wound had been healed. And we'll pick up there as we continue to discuss the name, the number, and the mark of the beast. I'm Sam Solon, and I'll see you then. Bye-bye.